As I look out at my Northside family this morning, and especially as I look right here at this front section of 7th through 12th graders, and as I think about our 16 graduates, I feel privileged to be a part of this family and this community. I feel privileged to be up here doing this for my fourth graduating class as youth minister here at Northside. I'm part of a lot of online youth ministry communities, and over the course of a year, you can see hundreds and thousands of posts from youth ministers talking about different struggles they go through, or church cultures, or challenges, or even good things. And it's because of this, I I know for a fact that the Northside family is a rare thing in a very good way, especially for a couple reasons. Number one, I am so humbled and amazed about the investment, the large investment that Northside puts joyfully into our teens. And I'm equally encouraged by Northside parents who every day choose to raise their children counter to the current culture. And so it's because of those two things that I have extremely high expectations for our graduates. Extremely high. And the problem with expectations is they can be burdensome on young people. Sometimes we don't like to hear that you have high expectations, but it's okay. And I'll tell young people here, it's okay. You're young, you're strong, you can handle it. And not only that, but especially for you, because God has equipped you to carry burdens, and God has equipped you to be the future of the church. So this morning, what I want to do is attempt to lighten that burden a little bit. And I want to lighten that burden by giving our seniors three really simple pieces of advice from God's word. Now, these these pieces of advice are really simple, but all of them are really hard to carry out. So I'm sure that these three pieces of advice are going to be for everybody. With any advice, it doesn't work unless you take it, and it doesn't work unless you act on it. If I could go back in time, and many of you knew me when I was younger, if I could go back in time and I could sneak up to myself sitting right here, smack myself in the back of the head and say, listen, because if you don't listen, you're going to have to learn things the hard way. But unfortunately, sometimes we learn things the hard way, especially when we're young. It's amazing the amount of growth that is about to happen for our graduates. If you look back on your life between the ages of 18 to 25, it's a rapid, serious growth. And our seniors are about to embark on that journey. And they're going to have good times, and obviously they're going to have bad times. They're going to have times of triumph and accomplishment And they're going to have times of failure and sometimes even embarrassment. And embarrassment is a hard one. It's something that everybody tries to avoid at all costs. It's probably the worst one. But it happens to everyone and it happens to me. Hopefully not regularly, but yes, I've been embarrassed several times. And so in an effort to commiserate with our seniors this morning as they, they embark on this journey, my first piece of advice comes in conjunction with an embarrassing story of my own. And it's a story that I truly wish I could forget. But as with any embarrassing stories, you just can't. So the year in these pictures is 2009. So it doesn't seem that long ago to me. 
but it was about 13 years. And I know you guys are thinking I look exactly the same as the guy in that picture. And I know some people are blessed, but it has been 13 years. And on these pictures, I was on the Al-Assad Air Base in the Al-Ambar province of Iraq. I was deployed. I was a Lance Corporal in the United States Marine Corps, and I'd been there for a few weeks, so really not that long. And like all Marines, everywhere I went, as you can see in these pictures, I took my rifle with me. For Marines, a rifle was an important thing. Some of them even named it. I thought that was weird. I didn't name mine. But it was a very important thing to me, especially when we went off base. But we had several missions, several times a day, where we would go to the Syrian border or the Iranian border. And obviously, when you did those things, you wanted a rifle. And I'd been taught a lot about my rifle, everything there is to know. I was taught how to clean it and take care of it and take it down to the firing pin and put it back together all in under three minutes. And those who are close to me know that's crazy because I'm not a naturally mechanically inclined person. But there were drill instructors who were willing to help me no matter what. (laughs) And as many of you know, Marines are inseparable from their rifles and I was no different. The whole time that I was in country, it never left my side. On multiple occasions, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would tap it, touch it, just to make sure that it was there. And like many Marines and soldiers, when you come back, it's a weird thing that it's not there. So we took this tool seriously for very obvious reasons. And in my life, I have never held a tool that I have known or understood more than that tool. I knew everything about it. So back to my story. On this particular day in 2009, we didn't have any missions, which was rare. So a couple of my close Marine buddies and I went to, to um, somewhere in the base where we knew that the Iraqis were selling used bicycles. Kind of a weird thing, but we went to go buy bicycles in Iraq. Uh, it was a big base, so it made sense to ride them around. And I hadn't ridden a bicycle since I was 12 years old, and I was about 120 pounds heavier. Uh, but oh well, I'm going to ride a bicycle. So we bought our bicycles and we headed back to the cans, which is our metal building is where we lived. And we got to a point where there was this narrow dirt trail. It's about a hundred yards long. And I stopped to talk to another Marine and my buddies went on ahead of me about 50 yards. And then they waited for me. So I finished talking to this other Marine and I looked over and I saw that that one of my buddies, Alan, had his brand new digital camera out and he had the the video however you video for those old digital cameras going, and he was videoing and he was, he was talking and, you know, he was taking a video of Iraq so he could show his family when he got home, and I had this amazing idea. Now, before I go any further, there's another important piece of info that you need to know. I didn't sling my rifle like, like normal Marines did. I actually broke the rules. I slung my rifle really low. I was tall, I was big, it was more comfortable to do that, and so I slung it really low on my back, compared to other Marines. And I was breaking the rules, but it was comfortable. It was the way I wanted to do it, so I did it that way. So back to my idea. I remembered when I was 12 years old and I used to ride a bicycle that I used to do this really cool thing on my bike where I would stand up and just get to going as fast as I possibly could, and then I would slide to a stop. Many of you guys know what I'm talking about. It's, it's cool. And I remember th- when I was 12, I thought it was awesome. And so I decided that what I would do is while this Marine friend of mine was filming, that I would slide right up to him 
while he was filming, and it would be so cool. It would be captured on camera. We could look at it later. Everyone would cheer. I'm excited. So some of you are starting to put the pieces together here. So I stood up on that bike, and I started riding fast, just like when I was 12. And again, I had that rifle slung real low, right? And it's, I'm going back and forth like this, and I'm standing up, and that rifle's going back and forth on my back. And an M16, I know it really well, has a six-inch barrel. And that six-inch barrel, piece of metal, went right in to the spoke of that back wheel. And if you understand what happens, many of you have had this happen, when, when something goes into the spoke of a bicycle, the bicycle immediately stops. The problem is, the 240-pound man on top of the bicycle did not stop. I did hold on to the handlebars and smash the brakes. I flipped over. I bent the front tire and the pieces of the brakes flew everywhere and the bike was ruined. And I was laying in the dirt in Iraq in pain and I looked over to see if my fellow Marines were coming to my rescue. And of course they were all too busy laughing hysterically and it was all on video. And just to avoid the conversations after this, no, you cannot see it. (laughs) So I learned a valuable lesson that day. And I tell you this story because it it comes in conjunction with my first piece of advice. And I want you to remember this piece of advice. And maybe this story will help you do so. Even the most important tool and the tool that you know very well when used improperly becomes a hindrance and a danger when you're not using it for its purpose, especially if you're not using it for its God-given purpose. As Christians, we're giving, we were given a tool that is described and compared to a weapon many times. And the misuse of that tool, just like in this case, can cause some very serious problems. If you were raised at Northside, from safari to loft to the youth group, then you know what this tool is. And you would have a hard time understanding a church that didn't constantly use this tool. And that's the word of truth. You'd have a hard time understanding a church where everyone wasn't concerned with our sermons and our teaching and our lives being in step with the holy word of God. So seniors, take this with you. This is your first piece of advice. Know the word of truth and use it correctly. I know I shouldn't be shocked anymore, but I'm shocked at how preachers and pastors are using this not as God's word, but as a personal weapon, a weapon for personal gain or financial gain or as a pawn to further their personal view of 21st century politics. I hear preachers use scripture in a way that very obviously perverts the word and sometimes the gospel. And what's even more surprising is they have thousands, sometimes millions of followers with itching ears who are waiting to be spoon-fed Something that is not from God. So to my seniors, study daily. Study to find the truth, the truth, not your truth. And when you find a hard teaching, which you will, and when you find that you're confused by the word, which you will find that, lean in and ask God for help. When you find doubt, lean in. Ask God for help and ask wise people for help. Also, if you ever find a new teaching, Make sure that you examine the fruit of that teaching and equally that you examine the fruit of the person teaching it. 
This tool is living and active. We know this. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But perhaps most importantly, it's God-breathed. And that demands our attention and our reverence and our respect. And Northside does a fantastic job of that. But to our seniors, don't forget, as you embark on whatever journey you're going, to remember, to know the word of truth, and use it correctly. And the Bible commands us to do this to our best ability. 2 Timothy 2.15. 2, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Do your best at following this advice. We are in great need, and this is no secret, we are in great need right now of women and men who know the truth and use it correctly. This is very obvious in our world. And I probably don't have to convince anybody here of that. But it doesn't stop with that. It doesn't stop with knowing the word of truth and using it correctly. We're living right now in a generation in a culture that is taking on the burden of defining morality without God. And they are very sure of themselves. And they're very sure that they have the moral high ground because we're only beginning to see the fruit of what this culture and generation is bringing. This generation that our seniors are part of, if, if, if you look online, if, if, you're, if you look anywhere, you know that they're shouting loudly for what they call freedom, and they're getting it. They want the freedom to identify as they wish. They want sexual freedom. They want freedom to choose, even if that choice means ending a life. And again, in their shouting, they are 100% sure that they are right and that they want this freedom. So when we have men and women like our seniors, and when we have men and women like our body here who understand and know the word of truth and know how to use it correctly, and they know the word, they get upset by the world accepting and promoting what we know to be sin. And sometimes they become very upset. I'm no different. If I wanted to, I could put a slide up here and I could show statistics about abortion and education and transgenderism and pornography, and I could get really worked up about it. And so could you guys. We could all get really worked up about it. And you could leave these doors like an army. And you could be ready and full of outrage to crash into and clash with the current culture and shout what you know is true. You could even do it from the comfort of your own home. You can go out and you can argue on Twitter and you can rant on Facebook and you can bring your sound logic and your passion for the word and your passion for truth, and you could win. You could win that argument. And there's one problem with that. And that problem comes when we look at the example of Jesus Christ. So when we look at this current culture and this current generation through the eyes of Christ, that's when we get the whole picture. And the whole picture matters. So let's take one more look. Let's rewind. Let's take one more look at this generation. Again, this is a generation that is shouting confidently for freedom while claiming moral superiority. And it's also a generation that is suffering. It's a generation that is shouting for, for freedom, but statistically there's never been a generation that's more bound and chained. We know this. Prisoners of anxiety, of depression, of poor mental health. Prisoners of our phones, our little black mirrors. 
that we can stare into and find ourselves in echo chambers, even if they're of lies, of people who telling us that, that everything we believe is, is perfect and right. So what we're seeing is the beginning of the fruit of this generation who have accepted the burden of defining morality without God and they are being crushed by the weight of that burden. So here we are, here we sit as eternal beings. We have the Holy Spirit. We know the truth. We have God-given purpose, which is an amazing feeling. And we have something to offer this generation that's being crushed in addition to the truth, and that's compassion, which brings me to my second piece of advice, which is view the world around you with the love and compassion of Christ. Not compassion that sacrifices truth, but the compassion and love of Christ. So when you look around at all the turmoil in this world, as an eternal being, as a son or daughter of God, do you find within yourself more outrage or compassion? When Jesus looked at the world around him, when he walked through the world and when he walked through the towns and the cities, when he was actually here on earth, what did he see? Matthew 9, 35 through 38, that cord did a great job of reading, tells us this in part. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So if Jesus walked through our cities or town, if he walked through Wichita, if he walked through neighborhoods here, he would find a world harassed and helpless, sorry, helpless in need of a savior. And he would say, there's the white fields, the fields that are ready to be harvested. And so here we are, again, as Christians, watching this generation as they grasp around in the dark and they're trying to find something. They care about what's right and they're worshiping and relying on created things versus a creator. But something within them knows that God is there and something is aching with need for true purpose, but their flesh is winning. And we've all been there, so we know what that's like. So when we watch them going through this, do we roll our eyes, do we rage, or are we going to show them light and salvation? They need us to show them the light so they can see Christ clearly. And since we can't show them the light by being perfect, another great way is by offering the compassion of Christ. We know Jesus by being like Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on us undeservedly all the way to death. And this is one of the many ways that separates Christians from the rest of the world while everyone else is canceling each other and raging at each other and scoffing at each other and arguing with each other. We are bringers of light full of not just truth, but truth with and in compassion. My last piece of advice for the seniors this morning goes hand in hand with the other two because it is about thinking and setting your mind on kingdom things versus things of this earth. Empire things, as Will would say. I'm sorry, not empire things. I want you to quickly imagine that you're in training to run the Boston Marathon. And you've trained for years. Like, you're really good at it. And you might even finish in the top 10%. 
and you've been studying and you've been learning breath control and you have all the right gear and you're running every day, you have the most expensive shoes, you know what you're doing and the day has finally come and you start running, you're actually in the race. And the starting pistol goes off and you're excited. This is why you've trained. You're about to run a marathon, something that's very difficult. And so while you're running, you look over and you see some little kids in a backyard having a foot race. And you realize that that race looks way easier, like way easier. And you realize you have a 100% chance of beating these kids. I don't know why they're running. Maybe they're running for a popsicle or something. And you could definitely win that popsicle. And all of a sudden you become convinced that this race over here is the one that you need to be running. So you leave the marathon and you forfeit your place and you become focused on something that is very obviously far less important or rewarding. What a ridiculous story. That's crazy. That makes no sense. This would probably never happen, but many of us do something very similar as Christians. If you look in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of a race. He uses boxing too uh, to encourage self-discipline. He talks about beating his body and making it a slave. And he says also in this verse that those who train on earth do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So to our seniors, as you get older, there's going to be lesser races on this earth that seem very attractive. And you're going to be tempted to join them. There are so many earthly races that Christians get caught up in that cause them to lose sight of eternal things and eternal purpose. And when we focus on obtaining or elevating finite things, our vision starts to cloud. It clouds with the purpose of the world. And we start worrying about silly things like the kind of car we drive or the kind of house we have or the circle that we run around in and our friend group. Many of us start a steady stream of political conversations and political posts and political opinions, and we try to completely blend that with Christ, even though we fail to mention our Savior. And sometimes our pride gets the best of us, and we start working to please men rather than God, and that even happens in church, because the immediate rewards of races on earth are are more expedient, they're more attractive right now. So my last piece of advice to our seniors is to remember which race you are running and just as importantly, which race you are not. Leave the lesser races behind. There's nothing inherently wrong with those things I said, cars, houses, politics, careers. Everybody wants those things and to excel in those things. But for a mature Christian, if you find yourself putting that lesser race in a place that belongs to God or leaving your spiritual marathon for a lesser thing, That's the equivalent of doing that, of leaving that marathon to go beat some kids in a foot race in a yard. There's a well-known verse that I'm sure all of our Northside teens know, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, tells us exactly how to stay in the eternal race. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Not just the graduates of 2023 are 16, but everyone. Sorry. And when the race gets hard, consider the opposition that Christ endured. That's what we're supposed to do. As you endure your inevitable opposition, it's going to happen to you. Not if, but when. Keep your mind on eternal kingdom things and take the tools and talents that God has given you and use them to add runners to the only race that matters. Once again, know the word of truth and use it correctly. Add to that truth compassion and view the world around you with the compassion and love of Christ. And lastly, remember the race you are running and leave the lesser earthly races behind. That's what I want for our graduating class. That's what I want for all of us. So at this time, I'm going to do something that's my favorite tradition for our Northside seniors on Senior Sunday. I'm going to ask all 16 graduates to come on stage and our elders to come on stage. And Craig Greenwood has volunteered to pray over you guys. And this is just a very important thing. And again, I just thank Northside for all that you do for our teens. So seniors, come on up. And not just the, the Northside grads, but any senior that's here that's graduating the class of 2023, you're welcome to come up. Let us pray over you. Before we pray, I would like to read from Isaiah chapter 40. When I was the age of these young people, these are some verses that landed in my heart and have stayed there all of these years. And hundreds of times as I've faced different trials in my life, these words would come to my mind. And they dovetail very well with what Jeff has just shared. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God Almighty, we come before you now humbled to know who you are as you have revealed yourself to us through your word and as we're blessed on this side of the cross to know that you revealed yourself through the gift of your son as he walked this earth, as Jeff just shared with us and reminded us of what we're called to do with the knowledge of what you've done for us. And Father, today, as we're mindful of these seniors who have come to a point in their lives where they've accomplished some good things, we're proud of them for that. But we're also mindful that it's a transition into new decisions and new challenges and new frustrations. Father, my prayer today for them and for all of us is that we would be reminded that we want to stay connected in our relationship with you, stay connected to your word whether in a written form, by podcast, by audio, whatever form it is, that we can hide your word in our hearts, just like King David said.
And, Father, that we would stay connected through prayer daily as we continue our relationship with you. And that they would also choose to stay connected to your spirit with a willing heart, willing to listen and willing to follow your guidance. And, Father, I also pray that they would intentionally and willingly decide and determine that they will stay connected to your people, your church, those that have been called out by you to be salt and light to the world, that regardless of where they may live in the days to come, that they would intentionally seek out believers in Christ and choose to fellowship and worship with them and be encouraged by them and in their growth and in their walk in you, that they would be encouragers of others. Father, go with them this day and into the days to come. Bless them with patience, with understanding, and with humility to keep returning to your word, as Jeff challenged us to do today, and that when they're troubled and conflicted or doubting, that they would come back to your word and come back to you in prayer, and they would reset themselves with the knowledge of the love that you have and that all power comes from you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you have chosen a lesser race in your life, or you haven't even started the only race that matters, or if you have something on your heart that you need to unburden, or if you need to talk to somebody about things going on in your life, we have elders waiting at the back as usual who would love to talk to you about those things as we stand and sing.